What we're going to talk about in these months is um, setting godly priorities. And every week, we'll deal with a particular theme that starts with a verb, with an action piece. Today, we're going to talk about obedience. Obey is our word. Next week, we'll talk about trust. Now, this is interesting. Uh, isn't it funny that that starts like an old hymn? Trust and obey if there's no other way. But we're going to start that kind of backwards, obey and trust, okay? So obey is today, and we'll be in the first 11 verses of the book of Haggai. Let me give you a little bit of background. Remember the old story, the little short story, Rip Van Winkle? Remember that one? You remember the story was his wife is nagging him so severely that he hikes up into the mountains, and he lays his head down on a rock, I guess, and goes to sleep. And what happens then? Wakes up 20 years later. Wakes up, when he wakes up, his wife is gone. I wonder how he felt about that. No commentary, just wonder how he felt about that. Uh, and lots and lots of things has changed. While he was gone, uh, he realizes what's happened. He's indeed slept through 20 years of his life. Well, the focus of the ministries of Haggai and Zechariah was to wake people up from a 16-year spiritual slumber. Now, the interesting part, unlike Rip Van Winkle, um, their problem was not of confronting changes that occurred during while they were napping, but rather their problem was that nothing had changed in 16 years. And the preachers, the prophets said, this isn't the way things are supposed to be. So we're going to kind of get into that a little bit today. Um, I um, was in a friend's office the other day, and um, uh, his office is maybe 10 years old, and they're in kind of a new, newer building. And, and, uh, but every time I go see this friend, um, his office has been redecorated. Now, I'm not talking about you know, just changing knickknacks or uh, rearranging the books on the shelves. I'm talking about new furniture every time I go see this guy. It just seems like. You ever been around somebody like that who just can't, you know, so constantly remodeling something? I used to laugh early on in marriage that I didn't dare walk through our house in the dark. Because <laughs> invariably, Rhonda had moved the couch, you know, by herself. Just because she didn't like to wear it was, she wouldn't change that up. So, well... Isn't it, what's kind of going on in the nation of Israel, uh, which is it's kind of hard to even identify it as a nation, this is after the exile to Babylon. They've come back uh, to Palestine. But the problem is, they're in about the third or fourth redecoration of the house. Meanwhile, God's house is in rubble. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. Um, the year was 586 B.C. The Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar, you read about him in the book of Daniel, they destroy the city of Jerusalem, including uh, the temple and its precincts. And Palestine had been under Babylonian domination for a couple of decades preceding that. You can read all about that, as I said, in the book of Daniel. Then in about 539 B.C., a few years later, um, the Persians conquer the Babylonians, and Cyrus of Persia uh, decrees that the Jews who wanted to go home and rebuild their house of worship, the temple, could do so. 
Um, it's exactly what Isaiah had predicted, even from before the exile. Isaiah had predicted not only that this would happen, but he predicted that the king that would make it happen would be a guy by the name of, guess what? Cyrus. 150 years before Cyrus was born. That's, by the way, what causes some, uh, quote, experts in the Bible to look at the book of Isaiah and say, well, this must have been written several years after um, instead of being prophetic. It's just so specific. Um, now, in 538, 50,000 Jews traveled to Judah to begin the task of rebuilding the temple as God wanted them to do and as Cyrus has now allowed them to do. And with a, within a couple of years of their arrival, okay, so it's 538, they get back. In 538, they have put the foundation in place. It takes them a couple of years to put the foundation of the temple in place. They're, they're really motivated and ready to go. But then opposition to that effort surface and their enthusiasm begins to wane. The opposition originates with those who were kind of set up camp in Palestine, in Jerusalem and around there. While they were gone to Babylon, there were others that kind of were encroachers um, and they kind of set up squatters' rights. And so they didn't really like uh, what was going to happen. And so uh, they began to discourage uh, these Israelis, these Israelites who came back, the Judeans who came back. And um, uh, so work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a complete standstill until where we're going to read about in the book of Haggai, the second year of the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. You can read about that in Ezra 4 and 5. Now, the temple remains unfinished for the next 16 years. It became easier and easier to just let it remain undone. It seemed more practical for them to focus on rebuilding their own houses and pursuing their own interests instead of doing what they came back to do. So, Haggai and Zechariah appear on the scene in the midst of all this complacency, and their job is to shake people out of their lethargy. Now, what I've got to say to you is maybe you're not lethargic at all. Maybe all the jobs that the Lord gives you to do, you do immediately. But if you're like me, especially during the summer months, it's not a bad idea for me to talk a little bit about and think about my own spiritual lethargy. So we're going to talk about that a little bit, over, over, certainly over the next three or four weeks, and a little bit beyond that. Now, what I'm going, to, I'm going to do my friend Bob a favor. I'm going to read the first two verses, Bob, and then I'm going to have you pick up in a little bit on three, okay? But hang on there. I'll read the first two. Let's go to Haggai 1. Now, again, I'm going to tell you how to get there if you haven't gotten there yet. Go to Matthew. Everybody can find Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament. Go back a book. To Malachi, go back another book to Zechariah, and go back one more. There you are at Haggai. Okay, that's where he is. Now, it's interesting that all of this occurs, and uh, all this insight is given within so few, such an economy of words. He's called a minor prophet, but his message is major. You know, he's called minor just because his book is short, not because he doesn't have an important thing to say. All right, now. Here we go. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, The time has not come, 
even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. By the way, when I first read this earlier on this week, I thought, I just missed a phrase that I want to be sure that we don't miss. Now, uh, it's interesting that this is specifically dated. Remember I told you that they came back and, and um, began to live again in Jerusalem and around there in Palestine in 538 B.C. This is going to give a specific dating on when this message came. Literally, if you follow the Hebrew calendar, okay, um, you can find that the day that this happened or the day that Haggai gets this message is on August 29th, 520. August 29th, 520. Isn't that amazing? Um, that we've got that specific dating. You don't think the Bible's specific? Here we go. Now, they came back in 538. They worked on the foundation for two years, and for 16 years, it has sat empty. The work has gone undone for 16 years. Then the word comes. Now notice here, the timing of the word of God is really, really interesting here. The sixth month is important because unlike uh, maybe in, in some of the states in the U.S., the prime harvest time there is in August. So it's the sixth month, okay? The first day of the month will be the day of the new moon. It's a day for special sacrifices, and especially in this month, because it's harvest month. Um, Haggai himself, his name means festival. There was, this was supposed to be a day of feasting and sacrifice and, and high worship, but they can't do that. Why? Because there's no temple built. Isn't that ironic to you? Kind of is to me. Uh, specific in the Bible. So... Um, the problem here is they're supposed to celebrate all these feasts and festivals and they can't even start until they get the work done. Now, the recipients of the message here in verse 1 are the governor and the high priest. Zerubbabel is the governor. He kind of functions as a puppet king, but he's more of a governor. He's a political leader. Joshua is the ecclesiastical leader or the spiritual leader of the nation. God's word comes to all of the leaders. Now look at verse 2. This is what the Lord says. God quotes the people. Did you catch it? God, I missed that in my first reading of this. These people say, in fact, when I'm just blowing through this reading, reading just for context, it sounded like to me God was saying, in verse 2, it's not time yet to build the temple. And then by verse 3, he's saying, why haven't you built it? But no, really what the, what the Lord is saying, he's quoting them saying, now is not the time. God has never said that. Now, Haggai gets to the heart of the Lord's message by quoting the people's words. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. That's what they're saying. curious how do you think God would quote you what would he quote you as saying a little sobering isn't it if he were monitoring all your words and all your emotions 
which by the way, read Psalm 139, he is. If he were monitoring all of your words and all your thoughts and all your emotions, how would he quote you? This is what Patty says. This is what Fred says. Yeah. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Isn't it interesting that he distills all of the emotion, the, the combined emotion of these people, and says, this is what the people say. The time's not yet come. The enthusiasm that began this noble task has long ago been replaced by an apathetic, it's just not the right time to build attitude. Meanwhile, they have built and rebuilt and added to and refurbished and remodeled their own places. Now, let's talk a little bit about, uh, I spent a day yesterday taking care of some tasks that I've overlooked for weeks. What have you overlooked? Let's just think about your particular place where you live. What is there at your place that you have kind of been overlooking for a while? Um, last fall, actually like last summer, in the heat of summer, um, um, I, and, and seriously, one of the reasons I didn't take care of this is because I can't remember who I was talking to at the time. We were we were had we had the um, the the scourge of the June bug last summer. You know they were just everywhere. Every time you're on the patio, you got June bugs all over the place, uh, and they don't taste very good. Huh? Yeah, the birds alone. Well, I don't. Okay, and Rhonda hates them even worse. She's kind of a bugophobe, and uh, and so we're asking, and I couldn't remember, guys. If I was asking. The yard spray guy, you know, the fertilizer guy, the triggering guy, or if I was asking the exterminator guy, I can't remember which guy I'm talking to. Said it's the other guy's problem, and I, you know, I, you know what I mean. Either the triggering guy said, "No, that's not my deal. That you need to call your exterminator and have him get rid of the grubs." Okay, now that's not our pastor. That's not who we're talking about there. Okay, but <laughs> grubs one, one grub, not two. Okay. Uh, get rid of the grubs because the grubs in the wintertime become June bugs. And is, am I right on this? Yeah. But I couldn't remember, I literally could not remember if it, was the, if it was the exterminator guy that told me to call the true green guy or the true green guy that told me to call the exterminator guy. Can anybody help me out with this? Is it the bug guy that you call? Yard. It's the yard guy. We're going to have a talk. He's coming out tomorrow. We're going to have a talk. Okay, now, because now, that was last June and July. Now, I got all these wonderful little holes in my yard, like where it's kind of white, where everything else is green, and it's just driving me batty. Well, the deal was, okay, I don't want to say I'm a procrastinator, okay? I'm kind of like the guy who put off, uh, you know, kind of all the fear and anxiety uh, until Saturday the 14th, okay, sometimes. You get that one? And instead of Friday the 13th, he worried about Saturday the 14th. But... Um, on some things, on this, I'm, I'm typically not. But I, since I put off doing that last fall that I should have done, I'm really going to deal with it now. Now, what is that which you've put off doing, taking care of? Maybe at your house. Maybe at your work. Maybe in your life with God, your relationship with God. I think specifically, Haggai is going to make that, that connection here. 
Now, Bob, can I prevail on you to go to verse 3 and read down to 6? Great teaching. This is really good stuff. I don't really need to comment. Just let you read it and say, let's go home. But, um, or let's go to church. But I will anyway, okay, since I looked at it a little bit. Uh, now, what is going on is they seem to have plenty of time to build their paneled houses. Now, the wording here indicates not um, that just there's a lean-to here. The wording here uh, refers to they've done something special with their roof or then something really unique or special with the outside of the house, with kind of paneling its sides. Whatever the specific uh, reference, it's clear that the people's houses are finished while the Lord's house, the temple, is not. Okay, I had some friends visit from Kentucky uh, a month or so ago, and I had the great privilege of bringing them here. I had the great, even greater privilege at this point of my, portion of my life to take him to um, one of our new buildings on campus at MACU and say, look what God has done. Look what we've finished. Now, what would it be like for you to be in Palestine in 520 and say, uh, let me show you this cornerstone that we've laid. How long ago did you get that started? Well, it's about 16 years ago. But isn't it lovely? That's exactly what's going on. They've got nothing to show for 16 years of labor because they haven't done anything in 16 years. It's not really a matter of having time to complete the temple. It's rather a matter of being able, being willing to make the time to do so. The people's houses are complete. They're in good shape because they made a priority to have done so. Now, verse 5 is going to give us a phrase that I think must be pretty much a prevailing theme in this two-chapter book of Haggai. He says, give attention to your ways. You catch that in verse 2? I'm sorry, in verse 5? Give attention, give careful thought to your ways. The challenge is brief, it's compelling. Give careful thought to your ways. Uh, it occurs, by the way, also in verse 7. We'll see that in a little bit. And over in chapter 2, he says, give careful thoughts. Kind of another, kind of a version of the same thing. He says, he's talking about here, my heart needing to be passionate about the work of the Lord. Now let's talk about that just a little bit. Okay, allow me to, allow me to just kind of be personal here. Can I do that? Okay, last Sunday, right now, we were on a in a different time zone, which many of you know me. I'm kind of in a different time zone most of the time, right? But no, I'm in a really different time zone. Uh, going to the church in Stevensville, Michigan, and uh, it was great to see uh, my two kids lead worship and uh, to sit with the little girls and, you know, do all that stuff. And Silas was back there in church for the first time. And it was just the coolest I wrote my son a letter about a year ago. 
Have I told you about this? I've told some of the Bible study guys this. What I wrote in the letter was, in fact, I wrote it and reread it and uh, rewrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it because I, I didn't want it to be too harsh, but I wanted to make a message. What you're doing in Michigan is really, really important. And what I wanted him to hear, the passion of his father, is to hear that this is way too costly to all of us for you to just enjoy going north for the summer. Okay? This is costing me way too much. And I'm not talking about in terms of economics, although there's a part of that too. The plane flights over this last year, driving up there a couple of different times, uh, getting into a house there, getting into a home there, you know, all this stuff. That, that What I'm talking about is the emotional toll that it's taken on our family, the grieving that I do nearly every day. Can I tell you, every day. Because these now three little grandchildren that are so far from me, that I love so incredibly, and I don't get to be with them. Unless you give me the weekend off and I get to be with them like I was last weekend. It's just too costly to just be messing around, uh, to look for just another place to kind of reside. Let's try this really cool adventure. Now, what I want to report to you is that I really believe that both my son and my daughter-in-law have a zeal for the work of the Lord. Can I express a little bit of spiritual pride over that? I really do believe they're there for the right reason. That any time we were together this last week, even though the church gave them a week off to kind of be with Christy and the baby, you know, during the, during the, the newborn deal. And, but his phone was constantly going off or there was a constant text coming in and he was constantly having to deal with stuff. And I'm thinking, yeah, I remember those days. Because his zeal, his passion is for things of God. You know what? He'll never be rich. Although, they don't owe anybody anything, so they got a whole different deal going on there. They're rich in much different ways. They'll never be rich. They'll never be famous. But his heart is set on the right things. Can I brag just a little bit? You see, God wants your and my heart to be set on the right things. The fact that they had rebuilt their homes was not the problem. It was where their priority was placed that was the problem. It was, the, it was a heart issue. It really, really was. So, here's the result of it. Okay? Verse 6. You planted a lot, but harvested a little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages, and you put them in a purse that's got a hole in it. That's pretty descriptive, isn't it? How has their investment in settling down in Palestine for 18 years, how's it worked out? Not very well. Okay? You've planted, you haven't reaped. Or where you have, you've eaten, but you're still hungry because you haven't harvested enough. And when you have earned money, he says, you put it in a purse that's got a big gaping hole in it. 
I handed the little girls quarters this week occasionally, you know, for things they would do right, and, and you'd hand them a quarter. And then I'd say, I've used my grandfather's expression, my mom's dad, when he'd give me a dollar or give me a quarter when I was five years old, he'd say, don't plant that. Now, he was a farmer, and he would say, don't plant that, which meant don't lose it. And I started saying that to the girls this week. Okay, don't plant that. They didn't want me to hold it for them, even though I tried to. Okay, but constantly, Paul, what happened to my money? Guys, I told you, I have to dig a little deeper, you know. You're, all this stuff is kind of for naught, the result. Would somebody run over to Isaiah 55 and read verse 2? Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, 2. Somebody got it? Why spend your money on things that don't satisfy? Does that sound like a commentary in our day? In the 1990s, we saw the rapid growth of the Internet and market values for technology stocks went completely through the roof and then the bubble burst in 2000. In the 2000s, a similar thing happens in the housing market. Fueled by easy credit and low down payments and subprime loans, housing prices seem to be on an ever upward trajectory. Many bought houses that they couldn't really afford. I read this comment this week. People turned their houses into virtual ATM machines as they borrowed against their homes, increasing market value. And then 2007 came. The hole in the purse. And so many people, even today, are looking back saying, what happened to me? I was blindsided by this. It's because we were putting money in a purse that had a gaping hole in it. Now, what am I investing in? Okay, I want us to go on here. Bob, can I come back to you and have you read 7 down through 11? Okay, once again, the Lord says, I want you to give careful attention to your way. Catch this? I want you to give a lot of thought to your ways. Okay, now, he says, he basically says here, it's interesting, after he's kind of corrected them, he says, get started, get after it. Um, uh, Skip, what was Buzz's word when he wanted you to get after it? You remember? He would say, quick. He said, quick all day long. Remember that? Quick. Got to do it quick. Get started. 
The task of rebuilding the Lord's house has got to be resumed, and it'll never get completed if you don't get after it, get started doing it. Clearly, he says, go get the timber you need. The stonework is probably already there. He says, the resources are here. That's not the problem. You just got to go get it and bring it, and here we go. Why? Why does God say in verse 7 they ought to start this project and get it done? Did you catch it? What's the reason? What does God need here? Actually, it's in verse 8. It's going to bring him honor and he'll be glorified. Now, this is interesting. Does God need a place to live? No. Does God really need anything? No. But what God knows is that when, when you and I do something the Lord has asked us to do, He's going to take pleasure in it. He's going to be honored in it. And then honoring Him allows me to experience the fullest degree of the purpose for which I was made. When I don't do that, it's not only my purse that has a hole in it. My soul does as well. It starts leaking inspiration and leaking passion. And I find myself in a kind of a boring existence. So, in verse 9, he begins to talk about this idea of what has caused them to have urgency in their lives. Here's what he says. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Because my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with their own house. Now, this is not a, bad, a matter of bad luck, he says, or a random bad year for crops. It's rather a, a because God's people have not made his house a priority uh, that all these things have happened. In fact, the word here, uh, if you read the New American Standard in verse um, 9, the New American Standard says, um, get to the right chapter here. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of, of my house, which lies this low, while each of you runs to his own house. The idea is they're urgent to take care of their own stuff and not at all urgent about the things of God which they've been commanded to do. Now, therefore, verse 10 is kind of sobering. Because you've done that, you've had no rain, and therefore no crops. There's a cause and effect relationship in verse 10. In Deuteronomy 28, the, the, the Bible says, The sky over your head will be bronze. The ground beneath you will be iron if you disobey. In chapter 30, uh, Moses' words to the Israelites, he says, I call, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Isn't it interesting that Haggai is kind of repeating this idea, and he said, the fact that the ground on your feet is not producing, the fact that the, the, the sky above is not uh, uh, yielding any rain, the the earth and the sky are both bearing testimony that you're not doing what God has asked you to do. You're being disobedient. I think that's really, really interesting here. Now, so he says, God says, I called on drought in the fields of the mountain on grain, wine, and olive oil. 
Now, how important is that to a Jewish person? Lots. Lots. Okay? Uh, it's interesting. In Deuteronomy 7, grain, wine, and olive oil are all mentioned in a promise of blessing. While in Joel 1, these three are pictured as being in scarce supply because of God's judgment. So here we go again. Grain, wine, oil, all those are in scarce supply. It's kind of the deal. All of that because they've been incredibly disobedient. Now, let's bring this kind of to some uh, kind of what's the point here. All right. One of the things I think we've got to be really careful of as we read Old Testament Scripture, uh, especially something like this, is we've got to be really careful to think, okay, if I'm really, really obedient, then God will really, really bless me. Kind of sounds like that a little bit, right? They're living under this uh, really clear covenant where God says, if things aren't going well for you, you can probably look at how you're doing your life and, and tell. Now, that's still somewhat true, but, but I've got to, in New Testament days, I've really got to snap myself back to reality and realize that some of the most spiritual people I've ever known have been some of the most tested, right? Has that happened kind of to you, maybe, in your, in your purview? I think of a lot of people that I've known in my life who were some of the most spiritual people I knew who were also the most tested, kind of like the story of Job. Uh, when I think of, in particular, the the apostle who does most of the writing of the New Testament, who talks all about, it talks more about joy and love and peace than anybody else in New Testament scriptures and lived out the teachings of Jesus probably better than anybody um, who lived in that first century. The apostle Paul wrote about joy and peace from a prison cell. Do you suppose there were days when Paul said, okay, Lord, it's time for you to take away the thorn in the flesh. Eventually, he stopped even asking that. Do you suppose there were days when, uh, when Paul said, you know, I, I know about Haggai's teaching, and I know they didn't get rain and crops and oil and wine and grain because they weren't obedient, but Lord, I've been obedient. So I, I think we need to be really cautious here about the quid pro quo carrying over such a link and applying it to God's people today. But God does say he's going to take care of you. Sometimes I don't know exactly how that care works out. But I know he's promised to take care of me if I pursue, like he says in Matthew 6.33, his kingdom and his righteousness. So what's the point? I think I've got to begin to set godly priorities in the way I make my decisions. And I think the message that he's giving to them in 520 B.C., he's giving to us in 2014. Give careful attention to your ways. What are your ways like? How do you do things? How do you make decisions? In particular, I want to challenge you to think in terms of obedience in this way. Remember I told you I forgot to either have sprayed or whatever the grubs back in last fall. And now I'm going to have June bugs all summer. And I'm going to be dealing with holes in my grass for a while. 
What have you put off? What do you know? You know, I just think it's interesting. Most of the great things that God wants me to do in my life, I don't need him to write it, you know, on a chalkboard or, or in the cloud in the sky. I already know what he wants me to do. I just need to get after it, Fred. You know? I just need to start baby step after baby step after major decision after faith step after giant leap to get it done. They knew the Lord wanted the temple rebuilt so that they could worship him in preparation for the coming of the Messiah, right? I know of things right now, today, God wants me to do. What am I waiting for? Consider your ways, God says. What have you left undone in your life that God wants you just to start today? This is going to be okay? We'll be still be in chapter one next week, okay? So, uh, and we'll talk about trusting, okay? See ya. Have a great Sunday.